Welcome back. Uh, really glad you're here tonight. If this is your first time to RUF, I want to particularly welcome you. We're really uh, excited that you're here, and we hope that you find this a safe place uh, for you to figure out what you believe about Jesus and what you believe about the Bible. Um, in case, again, you're not, hadn't been around RUF, basically what we do is just, depending on the semester, we march straight through books of the Bible. One semester we'll do something in the New Testament, and the next semester we'll do something in the Old Testament. This semester we are actually uh, answering the question, looking at the question of who is Jesus, and to answer that question we're studying the Gospel of Mark, particularly those first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and we've looked at different aspects of who Jesus says that he is. Tonight, uh, as you saw from the reading, we come to the end of chapter 2, to the beginning of chapter 3, and we're looking at Jesus and his rest tonight. And I can't think of a topic that is more relevant to a college campus than this idea of rest. I mean, think about it. Uh, This is obvious, but if you look around, you know that we are a profoundly overworked and underrested society. Julie Score wrote this book about 15 years ago, and the title of the book is The Overworked American, The Unexpected Decline of Leisure. Okay, so she wrote this 15 years ago, and basically she chronicled most of your futures, okay? And she says that Americans are the most overstressed and anxious people on the planet. Not only that, she says they are destroying their marriages and their children because they're not able to stop working. And in my time in campus ministry, but particularly my five years that I've been in Ole Miss, I would say there's probably lots of them, but this is definitely at the top of the list of the personal ailment to which you suffer here on this campus. And what I mean by that, it is, it is trendy to say, I'm exhausted, or I am just worn out. Think about this question. It used to be, you would say, hey, how are you doing? And the people would respond, how? Fine, I'm good. But start listening. Now, instead of someone saying, I'm fine or good, what do they say? I'm busy. I am so busy. But I want you to know that this is me too. We did a retreat this past weekend with RUF, and many of you went on that retreat. And one of the seminars we did for the first time, we did a panel discussion with campus ministers, uh, a few campus ministers, and we asked this question, what we wish we would have known or someone would have told us or talked to us about when we were in college. I had a list of lots of things that I wish someone would have told me or things I wished I would have learned in college. But one of the things I had on my list that I actually mentioned in the second seminar that we did um, was I wish someone would have talked to me about work and about resting. Because I don't do this very well. I can't stop. 
I cannot slow down. And in lots of ways, lots of the habits of overworking and being a workaholic were developed when I was sitting where you're sitting. Were developed when I was in college. And that, since then, has wreaked havoc on my life personally. I've had panic attacks. I've had anxiety attacks. My wife can tell you she's here in the middle of the night, waking up, feeling like I can't breathe. I've wreaked havoc on my marriage and on my family from overworking. For example, you know I've got four girls, four little girls, ten and under. And there have been times in the last ten years that they have not been able to get my attention because I am so caught up in my work. Think about that. My daughters have not have, have been longing for me to pay attention to them, but instead they see me in the glow of the screen of my iPhone, checking my email, returning emails and text messages. Why do I begin this way tonight? Well, I want you to know that I am, not, I am no different than you. You've heard me say this, but it bears repeating often. It's the only difference between me and you is that for some reason God put me on this earth 20 years before you. And so I want you to know as I come to this tonight, this is hard for me to preach. Hard for me to talk about rest because I feel like such a hypocrite. Because I don't do this very well. I am terrible at resting. I need Jesus in this area of my life. Desperately. And my hunch is that you also need Jesus in this area of your life. And so what do you say tonight? We go to the Word together and we pray that Jesus would meet us here. And who knows, maybe we'll start to change and start to live more restful lives as a result of our time in the Word tonight. Let's pray. Ask God to help us. Father, as I mentioned, this is very, very hard uh, for me, um, but you have called me to this. This is my calling, and this is the next passage in our study. And besides, I don't stand tonight on my own faithfulness or my own goodness or my own record, but I stand on you and your word and your righteousness. Father, this week has been a hard week for many on our campus. There's been a lot of death. Many people in this room have lost people that they love, friends and family members. Um, There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of personal suffering. And Lord, I pray that you would come near those family and those students and that they would know that you are a God that doesn't stand at a distance from suffering, but that you entered in and you know what it's like to lose someone because you lost your only son. Father, tonight, help us to taste and see that you're good. Convince us that we really can put down our work and rest. Rest in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at three things. If you have an outline, you'll see it printed for you on the passage on the, uh, your announcement sheet. Why we can't rest. Secondly, why we need to rest. And then thirdly, how do we rest? So that's where we're headed tonight. Let's look at number one, why we can't rest. 
to understand kind of what's going on in, in this passage and what we need to understand what's happening in this story. And if you look at these two stories, they hang together because they basically have at their center the same problem and the same crisis. And the problem or the crisis in these passages is what the Bible calls the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath is a day that God has commanded us to rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. God says, work six days and then rest from your work on the seventh day. The Sabbath day is supposed to be a day of delight. It's supposed to be a day of joy, a day of refreshment and restoration. Insert now this group that we talked about last week or the last couple of weeks called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And they thought the Sabbath was a big deal. And they thought it was such a big deal that they went above and beyond Scripture, okay? So extra biblical here, not Scripture. They created these rules, all of these rules, in order to protect people uh, from breaking the Sabbath, to keep people from working and breaking the law. For, and, and it was way over the top. Way extreme. Let me give you two examples. One of their rules was you were not allowed to look into a mirror on the Sabbath. Because if you did, you might see a gray hair. I'm not kidding. You might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out. And that would be considered work on the Sabbath. Or if you were walking down the road and you were a dirt road and you were to kick up some dirt... That was considered tilling the soil, which was also work in breaking the Sabbath. Now with that background, look at our passage. Look at the first story. The end of chapter 2, verse 23 through 28, Jesus and his disciples are walking and they're picking grain and eating it as they're walking through this field. And the Pharisees see them and they don't see them filling their bellies because they're hungry and need a snack they immediately see them and their mind goes, they're harvesting. They're breaking the law. They're breaking the Sabbath because they are working on the Sabbath. They're harvesting grain. Second passage, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, another Sabbath day. Jesus walks into the synagogue and it just so happens that there is a man there with a withered hand. And all eyes are on Jesus. The Pharisees are looking to Jesus, wondering, and, and really, it's, you know, the picture is like, it's like the Pharisees are kind of hiding in the bushes, waiting for Jesus to mess up so that they can pounce on him. That's kind of the feel. And so Jesus, they're, they're wanting to see if he's going to heal this man on the Sabbath and again, break the rules. And so Jesus brings this man up in front of the synagogue and he looks at the Pharisees and he asks them essentially this question. What do you think the point of the Sabbath is? Is the Sabbath meant to give life or to take life away? Is the Sabbath meant to bring healing and repair the broken? Or is the Sabbath meant to wait a few extra hours until it's the next day and let this man stay in pain? Because he is hurting. Boom. There it is. 
You, you remember I talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jesus with the mic drop. Well, here's another mic drop. <laughs> okay, I love it. Look at verse 4. They were silent. And I don't know if they didn't really know how to answer the question or they didn't want to answer the question. But look at verse 6. And if you were here last week, remember what I said. Notice the word immediately. Immediately, the Pharisees, what? Begin to plot how they might kill Jesus. At first glance, when you look at these stories, they might at first glance seem a little bit strange. They might seem over the top, and, you, and a natural question that we need to ask here is why are the Pharisees so uptight about following their rules that they invented? That's a question we need to ask. Well, simply put, here's the answer. They are relating to God in a completely different way. They're looking through a completely different set of lenses because their thinking is Christianity is religion. Their thinking is this. If I obey, then God will accept me. If I stay away from the really bad things and I am good and do what is right, God will accept me and I will get into heaven. That is their baseline. That is the foundation for their uh, thinking, the principle of their life. The principle for their life is this, and this is very important, okay? Here it is. is it's all about my performance. If I perform and I perform well, then I'm enough. If I perform and do it well, then I am somebody. And I finally matter. That's why the Pharisees couldn't rest. And friends, it's why you and I can't rest either. You see, the work beneath the work is the thing that we really need to rest from. And it is called the work of self-justification. Self-justification. Working hard in order to try to prove ourselves to somebody. To prove ourselves to God or to pr- pr- prove ourselves to ourselves that we are enough and that we actually matter. Sidney Pollock, I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you. If you're into movies, you might recognize the name, but he was an extremely successful director and movie producer. He passed away in 2007. He directed movies such as Code Mountain and The Firm. And according to the industry in Hollywood, they looked at this guy and they said, he's got it all. He's got the life. And as he got older, his family, he started to experience some health issues, and his family begged him, please stop working and spend your last years and days of your life with your family. He never cut back. He never quit working. And in a newspaper article, Pollock said this, although the grueling film-making process, though it was wearing me down, I cannot justify my existence if I stop. Every time I finish a picture, I feel I've earned my stay for another year or so. 
Think about that. Here's one of the most successful movie producers of all time. I don't know whether he, whether he was a Christian or not, but he looks back at his life and he says, I need to prove myself. I need to prove that I am someone of worth and value and that I actually, that I actually matter. Friends, if we're honest... That is what, no matter if we're Christian, non-Christian, no matter where you are, if we're honest, that is what drives every single person in this room, if we're honest. Why do you work your fingers to the bone? It's because you're working to achieve something. You are working to justify your existence. You are working to make a name for yourself so that you can even convince yourself that you matter and that you're someone special. And here's the way it works. We would never say this out loud, but here's what happens inside our hearts. I'll know that I'm somebody when I make that GPA. When I get that grade. I'll know I'm somebody when I get into that grad school or when I get that job when I graduate or I'll know I'm somebody and that I matter or that I'm enough when my parents finally approve of me or when I get in that social group or when lots of people start to like me or when I marry this person or that person or when I can fit in a certain size dress then I'll know that I've arrived and that I'm someone. In other words, when I perform and perform well, then I'm enough. Friends, whether we want to admit it, that's where lots of us are tonight. Because that's where I am too. Can I be real honest with you? You want to know one of the reasons why I work so hard on Wednesday nights? The motives aren't always pure. Lots of times I work hard on, for Wednesday nights to get up here is because I am so scared to fail. And because I want you to approve. Because unless you approve then I don't feel like I'm enough. You see, we think we're only somebody when we achieve and when we accomplish something. What's the problem with that? Think about what the problem is with that. It's never enough. You can never rest. You can never stop. You can't stop because if you stop, you're no longer enough and you lose value as a person because you stop performing. Think about it. If you have to prove yourself to God and to yourself and to everyone else that you're somebody, you can't afford to stop. You cannot afford to rest. And if you're like me and you start to slow down and rest, here's immediately where my mind goes. You're lazy. You're missing opportunities. You're lazy and you're wasting time. Come on, time is valuable. That's immediately what happens when I start to slow down. 
Friends, this is why we cannot rest. This is why we are so busy. And this is why we're trying to prove to everyone else around us that we're busy. Because it makes us feel important. And we're actually trying to validate our existence. That's why we can't rest. That's why we can't slow down. That's why we can't say no. Secondly, why we need to rest. Go back to the first story. By, far, by the way, that was by far the longest point. <laughs> Go back to the first story. The Pharisees call Jesus out, and he gives this fascinating response. Look at verse 27 in chapter 2. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? We could talk a lot about what that means, but let me just simply say this. Jesus is affirming the Sabbath. He is celebrating God's commandment for you and I to rest. Why does God command us to rest? And why do we need it? Well, it's, there's a lot more to the Sabbath in resting than us just simply taking a day off at the beginning of the week and saying, I've got to recoup, I've got to take a long nap because I've got to get up and do it all over again. Is that part of it? Absolutely that's part of it. But it's way deeper and way more than that. Resting is an act of faith. Jesus commands Sabbath rest, and it's a way of saying, looking at what you do for six days, which for you as a, co- as a college student is your academics. That's your full-time job. Resting is a way of looking at that and saying, that does not define me. My work does not own me. Who I am as a person is not wrapped up in how successful I am and how much I get done, but who I am as a person is wrapped up in who God says that I am. Sabbath rest forces us to stop, remember the last point, from running to all the things in our life that we think make us someone and stop and instead of going to those things, we run to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the one that makes me somebody. You are the one that defines me. And so you see what this means, don't you? The issue of rest is an issue of faith. You cannot say no to your idols that you're holding on to in your life. That's why you're not resting. And at the heart of all of that, of not resting, is unbelief. Why don't you rest? Why don't I rest? Because deep down in our hearts, we don't really believe God is good and that Jesus loves us and that He's actually going to take care of us. And instead of running to Him, what do we do? We turn to ourselves and we, put, and we try to shoulder that entire load because we believe it's all up to us. And the Sabbath day and Sabbath rest is saying, No! You're God, I'm not. I'm going to trust you with my future. I'm going to trust you with my social life. I'm going to trust you with my academic life. Listen to this quote. When we rest, we acknowledge that all of our striving will of itself do nothing. Rest means letting the world pass us by for a time. Genuine rest requires acknowledging that God and our brothers and sisters can survive without us. You know what that's like, don't you? 
to not have your hand in something or to go and work at that camp for the summer. You think they desperately need you, but you don't go and you realize later that it actually ran better without you. You know what that's like? That, that's why we need... To, it's saying that they, people can survive without us. It recognizes, it requires recognizing our own insufficiency and handing over responsibility. It is truly surrendering to the ways of God. And it is a moment of celebration when we acknowledge that blessing comes only from the hand of God. This is why rest requires faith. You can quit studying and rest because your grades do not define you. Jesus defines you. You can stop trying to climb the social ladder and to be in and to be the most popular person on this campus. Why? Because your identity is not in that. Your identity is in what Jesus thinks of you and says that you are. You can put down social media and not have to always be in connection with people, with your friends, and be keeping up with what's happening on keeping up with what's happening on the campus because that does not define you. You can start dismantling FOMO because that does not define you in what's happening in everyone's life and fear that you're missing out. Jesus is what defines you. You can take a day off from working out. Because your identity is not your body type and your body image. It's Jesus who defines you and gives you your identity. Lastly, how can we rest? Look at verse 27 again. Jesus says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Very interesting. The word Sabbath actually means deep rest, or hang with me, this is important, deep rest or deep peace. And Jesus is saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And so essentially what Jesus is saying when he says that is that I am the source of the Sabbath. I am the source of the deep rest and peace that every single person in this room desperately needs. And so this idea of taking one day off of the week is actually a pointer that points us to the deeper rest that Jesus says every single person needs. And Jesus in this passage says, I can give you that rest. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. How does that happen? Well, remember on the cross, when Jesus is hanging there, he says those three words, it is finished. What does he mean when he says it is finished? Well, Jesus means that everything that is necessary to make you right with God and perfect before a holy God, everything has already been done. Jesus lived the life that you and I didn't live. That's why he had to be sinless and live a perfect life. And he died the death that you and I deserve for our sins. Jesus became our substitute. That is our hope. And that is our rest in the Christian life. And when we finally start to see that and to understand that, then we can finally rest. 
then we can finally start to say no and dismantle our need for approval and achievement and success. And we can stop running ourselves ragged, trying to manage everyone's perceptions of us. Why? Because the creator of the universe looks at you and says the verdict is in on you. And you've got the approval of the only person in the world that really matters, God Himself. And He looks at you and says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You are my child and I love you. You see, Jesus says that the work underneath the work, that thing that when you think about it, and and we're all there, we're on that hamster wheel, that wears us out constantly trying to look for the approval and our worth and value in other things. And Jesus says, that, that is finished. And when you look to the finished work of Christ, you can know deep down that God is deeply satisfied with you. I don't know if there's any golf fans in the room But there was an old golfer who actually died in 2013 at the age of 82, Ken Venturi. And I heard an interview, or was referenced an interview with David Faraday as he was interviewing Ken Venturi. Uh, And to let you know a little bit about Venturi, he was a great golfer, won 11 majors, uh, but had an automobile accident during his career that he severely cut his hand and had to basically have his hand completely rebuilt. But came back from the surgery and actually went on to win the U.S. Open, so won another major championship. And then at the end of the year, his hand started to go bad again, and he started to have problems with it again. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, more than likely, you're going to lose three fingers. And so you think about if your job as a professional golfer and you don't have three fingers, you can't do the thing that you were made to do and the thing that you're gifted to do. And so you can imagine how that started to mess with him mentally and emotionally. And so he goes to his father, Ken Venturi goes to his father, and he tells him what's happened and what the doctor said. And his father gets up out of the chair, gives him a huge hug and kisses him and grabs him by the cheeks and holds and looks in his face and says, it doesn't matter to me whether you ever play golf again. It makes no difference to me. And his son Ken says, how can you say that? How can you say that, Dad? And his father looks at him and says, you are the best I ever saw. And Venturi goes back to the doctor and he says, you can do whatever you want with my hand because my dad thinks I'm good. Your father, your heavenly father, he thinks you're good. And he looks at you and he says, you're the best I ever saw. Do you believe that? I hope you believe that. Because friends, that is the key to finding the rest and the peace that our souls so desperately long for.
Let's pray. <laughs>